0: You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.
1: Wow, what a crazy time we are living in. I, I, what I thought would be a dream to stay at home for two weeks is uh, just unprecedented territory as we have been quarantined. Our stock market is falling apart, businesses are closing, people are filing for unemployment, and it's not done yet. There, there's still probably more waves of sickness, and we don't know when the peak is. It is a crazy time being stuck at home. I was watching uh, an interview with a Navy SEAL, and he talked about how being at home, going to the store, and not knowing whether all of our supplies are gonna be there or not, is just a little slice of what it's like to live in an oppressive nation or in a third world country where um, people don't have the same freedoms that we have. Now hopefully our lives are gonna turn back to normal, but we're in uncharted territory. We're entering into a new land that is unknown. In the Bible, there's a term for this. It's called exile. You see, exile was something that the Israelites went through uh, multiple times when uh, things went wrong and they were kicked out of their land. And then when they entered into a new territory, today we're going to look at Jeremiah 29, which is a uh, which tells us the some specific instructions that God has for his people when they're entering into exile. They're entering into a new land, a new territory, a new way of living that is completely unknown to them. But here's what God gives them for instructions. And I think they're gonna be just incredibly uh, poignant and and beneficial to us in our seasonal life right now. I do wanna just clarify like, and just a little sidebar note that the type of exile that we're living in, everyone is impacted, and for some of us, we've had very little impact. Uh, none of our friends and family have been sick, and for some of us, we've had great impact. But, I mean, this is just only a little sliver of what it really is like for people who are really living in oppressive conditions. And so, just know that there is, uh, there is a tension of, 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 of experiences that all people have kind of gone through. With that, let's look at Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14. If you have your Bibles, turn to me now, and we're going to read through the entire passage. Uh, there's going to be an angelic voice that we'll read from a side, and uh, then we're going to break it down a little bit. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4.
0: This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile.
1: Thank you. So a little background. Where, where are we in the story? Jeremiah is writing to the nation of Israel. So think back to God creates. Um, God kicks uh, human sin. They're, they're kicked out of the garden. Um, they, they wander. God chooses a people through Abraham. Uh, they go off from famine into uh, Egypt. There they're taken captive and they get out. Then they're they're marching toward the promised land. From the promised land, uh, they get sent to wander for 40 years. Fast forward, they set up a kingdom, David reigns, his sons are ruling. They're in the promised land. The kingdom divides and through disobedience after disobedience, God reminds them that, hey, you guys are going to be punished, and you're going to be taken out of your promised land. Then Babylon comes in the year 587, destroys the temple, and takes a lot of the uh, elite um, and just a, a lot of different people from the Israelite nation into Babylon. And as they're moving into this unknown territory, this is what God says to them, and it's so fascinating. Look at what he says. This is this is number one. This is all about exile. This is a letter to the exile. And here is point number one. If you read verse five and verse six, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. What is he saying? This is point number one. Point number one is exile is not the end, right? So these people are sent off, and rather than um, you know them waiting and just looking to return to the the old way of life, God is saying, "No, settle down, be a part of it. Like m- life goes on, build your homes, b- plant gardens, eat, marry and mate. You know, like do do normal life." And, and that's kind of what we're going through right now, right? There's this uncertainty of what is going to happen, but the reality is, is that we're just gonna put our pants on one leg at a time and we're gonna go through life. We're gonna take care of our homes. We're gonna need to eat. We're gonna need to take care of our families. That is exactly what they're being instructed to do. Exile is not the end. When you think about World War II, in England. They had these bombing raids that, I mean, just created an extreme amount of anxiety and a huge impact into the society of England. And there's this phrase that they had, keep calm and carry on. Carry on with your business. This is the new new. So get going and live your lives. Same for us going through this COVID-19 thing, is that we too are going to continue to live life. So life will go on. Exile is not the end. That's number one. Number two, the second thing that this passage teaches us is exile is an opportunity. Exile is an opportunity. Look at verse seven. What does it say? Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. What are we doing right now to seek the peace and prosperity of our city? We're staying home. Like, we are literally doing that. And, and we're supposed to care for the city that we live in, even when it is in a foreign land. A land that, that they weren't even accustomed to. And God says, no, seek the prosperity and the blessing of the Babylonians. Like your captors, seek and take care of them. Uh, 1 Timothy 2 is, is, speaks to this as well. Uh, under the captivity of Rome. Look at what Paul is saying to Timothy. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we, that we, the us, may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2 talks just about that, right? About caring for the city that is around us. Same for us. But as we serve and participate, there's a key phrase right here that, that means that there's, a, there's something different about how we do that. Because as we care for our city and as we care for the land that we're living in, there's this temptation to conform and to actually become like them and lose our own identity. But that's not what God says. What does he say? Look at verse 8 and 9. I'm going to read from 8b. It's, uh, do not let, this is where it says, Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. I have not sent them. Colossians 2.8. Colossians 2.8 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. What's God telling these exiles to do? He's telling them to, one, to care for the city, to pray for the leaders, to seek their prosperity because it's going to make you more prosperous. But don't listen to them. Don't conform to them. Don't, don't become like them. Don't think like them. You're different. And, and for them, it, it was, you are children of, of the one and only God. And that's the same for us, but we're followers of Jesus. So there is a certain amount of our caring for our world that we will do, but we don't want to conform. Uh, uh, you have essentially three options in exile. You can withdraw and say, now, I'm not a part of this community. I'm not a part of this world. I'm not a part of the Babylonians. I don't want any part of it. And I'm going to dig in my heels and, and, and not participate. And, and a lot of us as Christians kind of do that with our world where we say, hey, we don't want anything to do with the world around us. That's one way. That's not what God's asking us to do. The other way is to fully assimilate, to become like them, to lose our identity, a lot of American Christians fall for this trap as well, right? Like, hey, we we just live the American life. We do the American dream thing. And really, there is nothing different about our lives than any other American uh, in our country. Jesus follower, non-Jesus follower. We look very similar. But the third option, the third option, and what God is telling the Israelites to do here, is to be like. To not withdraw, to not assimilate, but to serve, to bless the leaders, to bless the city. But don't fall, don't don't be taken captive by their uh, wrong logic, their false gods, the things that they don't worship. There was a movie uh, a few years ago called God's Not Dead. And to be honest, I did not read, I did not watch the movie. And I don't even know whether it's a good movie, but the premise of the movie is exactly what it's talking about. It follows this uh, young college student who, in order to pass a class, uh, the college professor says that you need to deny the existence of God. Now, this is the exact conundrum that that, that they're talking about. Hey, you're learning, you're participating in the society of college, but at some point, you will have this temptation to deny what you truly believe and to fully assimilate. Same thing that we're struggling with right now. As this COVID 19 thing continues, we're going to have this opportunity to care for our city and to bless people. And whether we do that in a way that withdraws and says, I don't want anything to do with your world, or whether we do it in a way that fully uh, assimilates is going to be the challenge. We want to do it in a way that honors Christ and also brings the prosperity of our city. Totally had to stuff fall. Okay, let's keep going. Exile is not the end, exile is an opportunity. Number three, third point that we learned from this, exile encourages, exile encourages, any guesses? Empathy. Exile encourages empathy. When you read about uh, exile, um, and one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 137. Great song by the Melodians that is after this. And it says this. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. When we remembered where we came from, when we remembered how life was before all of this, we weep because our life is so different. It's so impacted. And what what encourages empathy is the is the shared experience of grief. Right, we all have grief. My dad sent me an article just this week from Harvard Business Review that talked all about grief. It talked all about how we're all losing something in this and we all have grief. And right now it talked about specifically what I'm experiencing was which is anticipatory grief. This idea that the end is not here yet. And something else is going to happen. It's uncertain. We don't know the exact impact of all that has has gone on through this whole situation in crisis. We all have grief. We all have grief. So we have this shared empathy where we can now go and care for people and be just slightly more relatable because we're all in this together. What's fascinating about these crazy times where Uh, we are really getting a taste of just how broken our world is. Is that oftentimes people will ask, Christians especially, or just God followers, where is your God in this? If there is a good and loving God, why are thousands of people dying from this rogue disease? And I heard this great answer to this question uh, from a a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright. And this is what he says. We often want the answer to that question to be, well, God God either messed up or God should will, it should write everything or shouldn't have allowed this, and, and God just doesn't answer that question in the same way. Rather than asking where is God in all of this disease and everything, what God does is he shows up and he grieves with us. Look at what Jesus did, okay? When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Uh, The story comes from the the Gospel of John. When he is going there, he knows that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to resurrect his life. But before that, we have that famous passage, shortest passage in the Bible. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You see, the story of Christianity is about a God who not only will one day right all of the wrongs, redeem and restore everything, but in the midst of our grief, he comes and he weeps with us. So too with us. We should take Jesus's model, and we too should go out into our world, to our community, to our neighbors, to our friends, and just grieve with them. And just say, hey, this sucks. I'm sorry, because that's what God does with us. Totally different response than what we'd expect, okay? Exile encourages empathy. Lastly today is our final point, which is this. Exiles have a home. Exiles have a home. I should slide this over. Exiles have a home. Look at what it says. Read read verse 10 again. We're gonna read 10 through 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Back to where? Back to Zion. Back to the place where the temple was, where God dwelled. I'm going to remove you from the place that, where you're outcasted in exile, and I'm going to bring you back to your home. And so he says, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you guys have heard that passage uh, a bunch of times? I know I've read it a bunch of times, and I usually associate it with this kind of health and wealth gospel, but that's not the context of that famous verse. Is an exile. It's an instruction that in the midst of unknown, in the midst of being in a completely different land, I got you. I, ha- I got plans for you to prosper. I know your future. And that's what God says. But what is the promise? What is the plan? What is the home? This is, I think, is so fascinating, okay? The plans to prosper, not talk plans to give you hope in a future. What's the hope in the future? Verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. I will be found by you. His promise and his plan is for us to find him, to have deep connection with God. And our home is actually in relationship with him. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are in exile and the reality is that we are exiles to this world. We live in a broken, fallen world and that was not God's intention. In fact, God's intention is for us is to live in heaven on earth with him. To live in heaven on earth with him. And that's kind of the opportunity. So what do we learn from Jeremiah? We learn that Exile is not the end. Our life is not over. We will continue to live life. We will continue to move on. We're gonna build homes. We're gonna do the things that we normally do. For us in America, we are a very resilient people, right? Exile is not the end. Exile is an opportunity. We have an opportunity to care for the people around us, to be light to the world, not to fully assimilate, not to to fully withdraw, but to be this third option where we are actually caring for the people around us and we're demonstrating and holding on to our Christian identity. Exile encourages empathy. We're all hurting, we're all grieving, and we can empathize with other people just like Jesus empathized with his friends. And exiles have a home. Our home is in heaven. Our home is this restored world that we're not in right now. And so we have this promise. And, and just like the, the, the invitation to those in exile in Babylon, seek God and you will find him. Seek God and you will find him. And I think that's kind of the opportunity that we have right now. We don't know what's next. We're in our homes for the foreseeable future. We don't even know when we're going to gather again as a church. But in the midst of that, we can seek God. We have a little extra time during our day. We can read our Bibles, we can throw on some worship music, and we can seek after God. And God's promise is that when we do, when we do, we will find him and we will have a better understanding of what our home truly is. Right now, I'm going to pass it back to Taylor, and she's going to lead us in uh, one final worship song for today's service. As we do that, think about exile. Think about how your life has changed, and I ask you to seek God in this time.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.